0: Is it suffering that is a condition for freedom or is it understanding suffering? They seem different to me. As I said, um, I think both yesterday and this morning, that it is absolutely necessary for wisdom and right view to meet suffering in order for it to head in the direction of freedom. The, the place in the chain suffering is in both dependent origination where suffering leads back on itself. Suffering leads to ignorance and it cycles back on itself. And also the understanding that suffering can lead to faith and head towards freedom. And the conditions there are the suffering mixed with wisdom, mixed with some hearing of a teaching, hearing right view, hearing a teaching that basically says yes, it is possible to be free from suffering. Here's a direction. and yet understanding suffering is not possible without suffering this reminded me of a of a of a thing something that joseph goldstein sometimes said we want to understand suffering we want to have insight into suffering without experiencing suffering <laughs> and this is not possible And so while the condition of wisdom is crucially important, the suffering is also crucially important. And that suffering, the same suffering, can lead either to ignorance and back into that cycle or be the condition that propels us to freedom. I think sometimes... Some of us actually find the path when a certain level of suffering comes to us. That was definitely the way it was for me. I, I felt like I had tried everything I could, I, I knew, everything I knew to be happy and more and more misery in my life. And at some point, somebody sent me that book, a book, and and basically said, there's a way. I said, okay, I don't get it, but I'll give it a try. And so it was the suffering that led me to that search. I don't think I would have stepped onto this path without that suffering. And so, in a very real way, suffering itself is a supporting condition for freedom. And then a a question that, or a reflection that came up during some of the meetings, that I wanted to offer in the larger group because it is a a kind of a pattern that seems very well at least it's very nameable it's something that happens for a lot of people in practice especially after a period of time of some kind of a deepening of practice, a period of, of insight and release and understanding, that um, we find ourselves after a, a, some kind of release and ease and that, that we're in a dukkha storm And this pattern was so is so um, common that one teacher, Michelle McDonald, uh, gave it a name: the purity purification cycle. That we experience release. We experience some measure of openness and the heart. Um, just holding and being with things as they are, it just, it just feels so so clear and so natural. And then, we end up with a a kind of a a hindrance attack that seems even more intense. Sometimes, sometimes it seems even more intense than, than, than before. And this, uh, this kind of cycle, and the, the, the release and the opening and the, the ease, that's the purity. We're touching into the, the mind that is released, to some extent, at least, to some extent, from greed, aversion, and delusion. It's beautiful, beautiful states, mind of ease, calm, peace, joy, delight. And as I pointed to yesterday, really, really useful to be mindful there because that is the supportive condition for the strengthening of those qualities, mindfulness of the wholesome condition, wholesome states, conditions they're coming more frequently, appearing more in our minds. And so that's the purity side. And the purification side is that sometimes as the heart is open and soft and released, it's like some parts of our Struggles, things that have not had a a time or a, a, that not been really seen so clearly. It's almost as if they they're 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 waiting for this opportunity. It's like finally there's some space for me. So this cycle, purity, purification, very natural cycle. And sometimes I know that hearing it named was so helpful for, for me to, to just recognize, oh, okay, it doesn't mean that I've gone backwards. In fact, it is the deepening of the practice as we meet the next arising, actually, whether it's purity or purification, we meet that arising, and that is where our path is in that moment. Just this is the path. that's a a quote I used it this morning in the in the reflection, and it's um A quote from Thanissaro Bhikkhu's translation of a verse of the Dhammapada. Just this is the path. Whatever is arising, purity or purification, What is meant by nature? I've used that word a lot, and Sayadaw uses it a lot. And there's also, like there's almost different levels of nature, different, different ways this is understood, and through the last days, I've been pointing to it indirectly. First level or first part of this understanding or this word. Is understanding the nature of our experience, the specific nature of our experience. We talked about one day, uh, you know, the reflection about what is the nature of aversion, what is the nature of love, what is the nature of wisdom. And so, and uh, um, and you know, what's the nature? What we can we can even be curious about? What's the nature of of uh, our our sense processes? You know, the nature the nature of the nose is to smell. Sayadaw Saira has a a great story about that recognition in his own practice of understanding something about the nature of our sense bases and uh, he was using, washing himself using soap, washing his face or taking a shower or something and, and um, he was just present and mindful and uh, at some point the smell of the soap came very strongly, and, uh, you know, Burma the soap often has very strong scent, so really poo, hit his, his senses. And in that moment, he describes an understanding. And the way it was articulated in his mind was, oh, it's the nose that smells. And the recognition, oh, it's only the nose that smells. Some understanding of that conditionality of nose and scent poo, and smelling happens. So the nature of this sense organ is to receive scents. And he, a little amusing part of this story, he went around for a little while, you know, (laughs) talking to his family and his friends and saying, Do you know it's only the nose that smells? And of course, there's not the understanding in that for them. And so they thought he was a little nuts. His teacher said, you know, you don't need to say that to y- you, don't need to talk about that. <laughs> you don't need to talk about that with people. <laughs> and so, we understand something of the specific nature of experience at times in our practice. I'm understanding the nature of aversion is to separate. The nature of greed is to be sticky. The nature of delusion to obscure. The nature of love to connect. The nature of wisdom to release dukkha—we understand that, to some extent, in our as we as we begin investigating and being curious about our experience. And so that's one aspect, and and some of this has to do with understanding how our um, experience conditions each other, and so the. You know, the, the nature of aversion to separate means that our, our mind goes around almost looking for things to separate from when it's in a state of, of aversion. So understanding something, something of that nature, <coughs> we begin to recognize, oh, it's this nature that's making this process unfold. As Sayadaw says, we we see it's just these these states of mind doing their job. So that's one aspect of of nature. Another aspect is um, recognizing or beginning to open to the more, um, the general nature of our experience. The nature of experience is impermanent, unreliable, not self. Any experience, it doesn't matter what it is, what the experience is, has this nature. And so it's, uh, in, in some ways, we, you know, the word nature sometimes is used to translate the word Dharma in that chant I offered the other day or the the reflection of reflecting on uh, impermanence I am of the nature to age I've not gone beyond aging I am of the nature to sicken I have not gone beyond sickness I am of the nature to die I have not gone beyond dying. This is expressive of just the natural unfolding. So nature, natural unfolding of a being, a living being. It's nature for a being to age, to get ill, to die and in that chant the, the pali I'm trying to, I was trying to recall the chant itself in pali It's not coming. But the word for nature there is is Dhamma, Dhamma, Dhamino, I think. And so it is bringing, uh, connecting that understanding. This is the Dharma of being human. This is the truth of being human. This is the nature of being human. So that's another understanding of this word nature then we also maybe related a little bit to the understanding our sense experience as nature the nose smells, the eyes see, the ears hear the mind thinks This is the nature of our human organism. These processes go on. The five aggregates, body, feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness. This is the nature of being human. These processes tumbling on. doesn't matter whether we're mindful or not. Doesn't matter whether we think we're a self or not, these processes tumble on. That's the nature of our human life. These five aggregates tumbling on. And opening to the nature of our experience this is one way to, to think about what we're doing here. Sometimes I express it as we're opening to hum- the the human experience. We could say we're opening to human nature. exploring what is almost so what is the nature of being human rather than being interested in the content of this particular human's stuff interested in, oh this is aversion, this is the human experience of aversion human beings experience aversion and it's like this That's exploring the nature of aversion. There are times when realizing impermanence, unreliability and not-self is very difficult. For example, when one's ability to spell which was taken as permanent, reliable and self begins to wane. On the other hand, there are many, many times when remembering impermanence, unreliability and not-self is a comfort. As when dukkha arises, from the forementioned difficulty comments i think this this speaks to those times when impermanent unreliable not self or uncontrollable are met or are recognized with oh well there's there's some 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 sense of it shouldn't be this way And often I would say that does come with those threads I was talking about, you know the, the kind of mixture of dukkha being some aspect of wanting to be happy, well, safe, at ease. And that meeting the truths of impermanent, unreliable, uncontrollable and the sense that these two don't play together. Our mind thinks, these don't play together. If it's uncontrollable, I can't be safe. And so the mind knots up around that. And we experience suffering around that uncontrollability, that vulnerability. So it is uh, a misunderstanding at times. That's a misunderstanding around uh, these two. Somehow a belief in there that either I should like be able to make myself happy and these shouldn't be the way these truths say that, that things are. Or if these truths are really the way things are, then I shouldn't want to be happy. I shouldn't have that wish. And our heart does, over time, begin to understand, again, through the meeting, You know that the tangle is the resistance to the truths and the feeling that these wishes either are invalid or you know, we, we, we feel either like we're we're either betrayed by the world or failing somehow because we can't make things be the way we'd like. And and so the the meeting of our experience begins to kind of loosen and weaken the misperception help to reveal those beliefs and we recognize that it is possible we see, we see all the suffering that we, that w- that's kind of knotted up with these is, allows us to begin to recognize both these wishes of love and understanding of nature of truth and our heart begins to stretch to hold both And so, when we are recognizing those truths to be, or when we are experiencing those truths to be difficult, there's some misunderstanding in there. And then, the other side, when we are experiencing a relief from this recognition, a comfort the, the, the w- is the word sometimes when they are a comfort sometimes they're experienced as a great relief sometimes that happens when we recognize that and so sometimes the way this plays out is that when there's something Im- uh, unpleasant going on the impermanence of it can be a relief. You know, if we are averse to that unpleasantness, you know, that the recognition that it will go away can be happiness-producing. That's not quite the deeper understanding of impermanence. and yet it can so as we as we begin to recognize the impermanent unreliable uncontrollable nature of our experience and that supports the release of clinging so seeing things as they are, the mind becomes disenchanted with clinging and the mind releases clinging. That is experienced as such a relief because of wisdom, understanding this nature is truth. And I would say that um, there are all the way through the path in particular around meeting impermanence there are such deep, deep deeper, deeper, deeper levels of clinging that are revealed and so we may experience some kind of a release around certain levels of impermanence and and yet find, at some point, this feeling like we're being bombarded by sense experience, incessant, incessantly pounded by sense experience. and the uh the mind basically says no i don't like that it's overwhelming it's oppressive and this of this relationship to impermanence, again the suffering around the relationship to impermanence, this is the path, we see that suffering, we see that relationship With wisdom, and that wisdom begins to kind of dismantle these very, very deeply, deeply held, deep clingings around the relationship to impermanence. And so the, the path is actually from, from start to end actually, (laughs) is one of exploring our relationship to dukkha. And sometimes we get to hang out in the purity, (laughs) in the, in the process and when that's happening, let yourself rest there because there's more dukkha coming. <laughs> like, let yourself be nourished by that. And and, and I would say, <laughs> I, <laughs> I had this relationship to some of that purity sometimes that I, at some point I realized this is not such a helpful relationship. You know, I would, I would be experiencing some state of calm or ease and, and just be like, oh, that's nice. Oh, this is the perfect time to pay attention to that pain in my back. And just not really letting myself be nourished by that state. Taking it in, taking in the calm and the tranquility. So let yourself be nourished by that as it happens. And it's creating, it's supporting the conditions for the ability for the mind to meet a deeper level of dukkha. If we made a brochure about meditation practice and retreats, this would not be in the brochure. but it's the truth. (laughs) Hmm. I think I'll just do one last piece. Um, Maybe keep it a little on the short side today. This is a reflection that came to me yesterday, Nisha and I, were talking at lunchtime. And uh, a memory arose as we were looking out over the forest. Beautiful, beautiful light filtering through the trees. And, and I uh, remembered uh, an image uh, there was a memory of an experience I had this winter. That was a, an image that became a Dharma teaching for me. And so I thought I would share that image and express something of what it evoked for me as a Dharma teaching. To describe the image I'm going to, it it may take a little while to describe the image. So I was meditating up in Washington State, doing a self-retreat in a little cabin at the top of a hill. And um, there was, unusually for that area, very cold weather and lots of snow so we had something like 8 or 10 inches of snow in one night and it was very very cold and it stayed very very cold no sun for about five days and so the snow stayed pristine powdery snow it did not melt at all often on snow you know day after day it gets warmed by the sun and there's a little layer of melt on the top and it gets a little crunchy and this did not happen it was just you could blow the snow away and then on the I think that's the fifth day the sun came out And began heating up the trees and, and, and the snow started falling from the trees in the woods. You know, I'd be taking a walk and I would just be, this snowfall would just come down. And it's just like, it was just like um, light, you know, very light, puffy, just this light snow falling. And then I began noticing that in the distance in the woods, you know, the the filtering of the sun through the trees, um, as the snow fell, the places where the sun was filtering through, the, the snow would just be illuminated, beautiful glistening snow illuminated by the sun. And then one day, some, sometime in the next day or so after this began I was looking out into my courtyard, this was a, you know, I had a little private courtyard and it was completely shaded, there was no sun in the courtyard at all no, um, so it was just, it was just, you know covered by trees and um, watching the snow fall again, occasionally little bursts of that snow. And then at one point, the snow fell in a particular place in the courtyard. And as it fell, there was a burst of sun, maybe three feet in front of me. And it was surprising. It was beautiful. It was incredibly beautiful. Seeing the snow illuminating these rays of sun that were coming through the courtyard. And I was startled because there was no evidence of the sun in the courtyard. And then I looked around a little bit. I was standing on a deck. I looked, I looked over the deck and there were two or three spots of sun underneath the deck. And so I realized that there were a few streams of sun coming through the courtyard, landing underneath the deck. And that the snowfall had illuminated the sun. Because when the snow finished falling, there was no evidence of the sun in the air in front of me. And so this image of the snowfall, the first image of the sun illuminating the snow as it fell in the distance in the woods. And then here, the second image of the snow Illuminating the sun. Those two images kind of joined in my mind as an analogy for consciousness, knowing, and experience. And often we think of or understand. At least in that, that, that seeing of that helped me to recognize I I thought of knowing as illuminating experience, but the experience also illuminates the knowing. They come together, and so we can understand something about the knowing because the objects are there. As I understood something about the sun in the air because the snow fell through it. And the dependence of the two on each other. Those two reminded me of that place in the one of the Buddha's expressions of dependent origination where he was reflecting about what conditions consciousness? Oh, name and form, materiality, mentality, conditions, consciousness. What conditions mentality, materiality? Consciousness. What conditions consciousness? Mentality, materiality. They come together, they depend on each other. So let's sit together.